This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and my friends at Food for the Hungry who are just doing such exceptional work around the world. I'm excited for today's episode with the one and only Tyler Burns. Tyler, Tyler is just an incredible preacher. He's an amazing, amazing pastor. I can't wait for you guys to hear him just unpack why he does what he does. I first came in contact with Tyler because a buddy of mine, Mark Reddy, had posted a clip of one of his teachings and he was talking about justice. And he used this amazing idea, kind of just phrasing on what justice is. He says, justice is when we make your problem my problem because God made our problem, his problem. That's justice. And the way in which he just articulated this, I I felt like I just began quoting him anytime the word justice came up. I started following him on Instagram. I started listening to his messages. And then most recently, uh, he delivered an incredible talk at the Q conference, you know, led by Gabe Lyons and Rebecca Lyons. And um, people just have not stopped talking about this teach. And I I watched it. I watched it again. And again, you're just going to see a man of conviction, a man of depth, a man just filled with the spirit, a man who just, um, he is a pastor. He's just a good, good pastor and a brilliant mind that I'm so excited for you to learn from. So Like we typically do, obviously, this is a podcast that goes after the craft of communication, getting better at that, but we always want to be the kind of people where our character leads the way. But I want you to get a a taste, just a a sample of the sound of Pastor Tyler Burns. So hear this from the Q Conference, and then we will dive into a conversation with my friend, Pastor Tyler Burns. Well, I figured that what I should do is I should go and find out my auntie's questions. I should find out answers to those questions. And I searched in all the typical places and I could not find any answers. I searched my Christian education and curriculum and no black people were present there. I searched the family Christian bookstores and all kinds of different chains and I couldn't find any black people there that were answering these questions. And I even searched the Christian conferences and they weren't even asking this question. And then I kept looking, and I came across some people who have navigated the same experience. I realized that the only people who can answer the questions are the people who have lived in the same experience, and I found a cavalcade. I found a list of black Christians who were navigating the paradox and who had done so far earlier than I was even thought of. I found names like Gardner Taylor and Henry Mitchell, Prathia Hall and Fannie Lou Hamer and Vashti McKenzie. And I said, why does the church not know about these names? Because if anyone can navigate the paradox, it's them. They know what it's like to be in the midst of being fully black and fully Christian. Why doesn't the church center black voices? 
Can the church talk about black issues without centering voices? And I'm not just talking about on a stage. What about our theology? What about our leadership? What about our ecclesiology? Black people can talk about science and psychology, economics and politics. We can talk about anything, race included, but why don't we see us present? Why are our voices not centered? And when you're in the midst of the pain of the paradox, you find something out being a black Christian. And it's something that Frederick Douglass, a man who many of you may have heard of, found out in the late 1800s. Francis Grimke tells the story of, of Frederick Douglass, and he's at this group of black Christian leaders. And he's talking with the pain of what it means to be in the paradox of black and Christian. He's saying, why hasn't God freed the enslaved Africans? Why hasn't God ended slavery yet? Why hasn't God brought us into full equality? Why hasn't God delivered us? And he was going on and on. The mythical figure was taking off his armor. And then a, a black woman by the name of Sojourner Truth, she stands up and interrupts him with the rhetorical question that changes the atmosphere of the room. She says, Frederick, is God dead? And the room was silent, just as you are silent right now as they considered the weight of this question. And here's the thing about being black and Christian in the midst of a paradox. Yes, there's pain there. But if you ask any black Christian, are we alone? We would say no. Why? Because God is not dead. Just because we're in the midst of pain doesn't mean that Jesus is not in the pain with us. Here's the truth. When we were in the paradox, we found that Jesus met us in the pain of our paradox. And Jesus addressed our pain, but he also gave us power. This is the Jesus who can stand at the dead grave of his friend Lazarus and declare, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the Jesus who can shed tears and speak to the tomb. This is the Jesus who says, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And into your hands. I commit my spirit. This is the Jesus who met us, and this is the black Christian tradition. We can stand up and say, like an Alabama preacher stood up on an April evening in Memphis, I may not get there with you, but I know that we as a people will get to the promised land. Like black women at the Montgomery bus boycott said, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. See, in black Christian tradition, we can be prayerful and prophetic. We can be weeping and dancing. We can push for joy and justice. We can say we're not all right, but we gonna be all right. As black Christians, we can say that the night may be dark, but the morning is sure to come. It's a paradox, but we found power there. And I invite you to center black voices because you'll find pain, but not just pain, you'll find power. And even if you don't, we'll continue. We'll continue to say that black lives matter to God. We'll continue to raise the banner. We will continue so our sons can be safe, so our daughters can be free. And so maybe the next time my aunt asks me a question, I can give a better answer. Thank you. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on the Craft and Character podcast. I'm so grateful for this, man. I'm grateful to have the time to just uh, chop it up with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Pastor. It's such an honor uh, to be introduced in such a kind way and uh, to be thought of by someone like yourself who I've been following for a while and, and learned so much about communication from. So thank you. Oh, uh, definitely, man. That means that means more than you know. I I'm I I'm so like just kind of enamored by the way that you see and the way that you can just articulate the ache or articulate the depth of an idea in ways that seem to be able to sweep up across an entire room 
and even speak through a camera, not just to a camera, but like as I was watching the Q conference from my computer, like just watching how the words at which you were speaking, just I could feel the resonance in the room, but I could feel like, oh my goodness, this, this guy just has a gift. It is a gift from on high. Like it is, it's, it's just, it, I just sat back and I was like, this, this, there is something God, you are doing in this man. And, um, talk, talk about was you got that invitation to, to, to speak at the Q conference. Cause I think in many ways it's different from, uh, you are like one of the most local pastors. I feel like a guy like Rich Velotis feels like that to me. You, you, you are, you are a, oh, he's, yeah, just amazing. You, you are so grounded in the local, like, and we're going to talk about that, but you get this opportunity and talk about what you were trying to do in that teach um, and what that response felt like. So they gave me nine minutes uh, to talk about something that I could probably spend an entire day unpacking, uh, the gift of the Black Christian experience. And the Q Conference kind of came out of nowhere. It was a connection through my friend, Bailey. And he just kind of connected us and said, you know, I had a meeting with Gabe and there was, you know, some other things that I was able to talk to a smaller audience and... He said, do you want to speak at Q? And I'm like, huh? You know, and so I hadn't necessarily followed a ton of it before, but I knew it was going to be a different crowd than what my local church is. And part of the burden that I felt, um, what James Massey calls the burdensome joy um, of communicating or preaching, I felt the burden of representing my community, but I also felt the burden that I don't think people understand, which is I felt in for being excellent. Hmm. And I feel that if I open the door that, that others can walk through. And so I felt the burden of not just going there and representing my community in any kind of way, but representing my community with the excellence that they transmitted to me over the course of my years of growing in the Black church. And so it was difficult to think about the framing. I'm a framer. So whenever I have the opportunity to speak, I'm much more concerned. I feel like my content will be there if I'm doing my work in private, but the framing is what makes a talk memorable. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a framer. So I thought about framing first and then cadence. So it's framing and cadence, framing and cadence. That's always the thing for me uh, because in the black preaching tradition, a sermon is an event. And it's not just a lecture, it's not just a talk, it's an event. So what was unique, I think, about how I approach Q is I didn't approach it from the context of a lecture and I didn't approach it from the context of transmitting information. I approached it like I was testifying. Wow. So that's how I desire to approach it is I'm not explaining the Black Christian experience. I'm testifying of the Black Christian experience. And so everything that I'm, I'm saying is to resonate with my people first. And so it's the, the, if the context is to center Black voices, I actually want to do that in praxis. And so I'm centering Black voices, Black Christian voices. And then from that, we are able to celebrate and testify. And it's what I think James Harris says, James Henry Harris, he says that Black preaching is an act of, of freedom and love. Mm. And so what you see is, you see freedom, 
and you see an intense love for people and the freedom and the love for people uh, leads to that memorable moment in black preaching where the embodiment and the fire comes through where you become one with the message. And so that's what I desired uh, to do. And I didn't know how it was going to go over. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't feel like if I had notes that that would be helpful. I didn't want to have a table out there. I didn't any of that. I just, I wanted to, to fully embody and embrace the moment. And so, yeah, there's some more things from a framing perspective that we can get into, but that was my overarching view to represent my people well and to do it with superior excellence as best as I possibly can. Uh, this, I mean, this is so good because just what you said, I have like 19 different questions going through my brain right now. The first one I want to go, I, I want to hit that, that framing and cadence. Cause I think that's a really, really important thing. I think oftentimes a lot of communicators um, have some information they want to transfer or they've got one idea, but they don't know how to build the talk, frame the talk, or the energy management cadence that you're talking about. But you said something about the excellence piece. And how, how do you not create unhealthy pressure on yourself, um, knowing that, hey, in some contexts, um, you might be one or two or three, you know, people of color that's getting a chance to, to deliver. And sometimes I feel like um, for my friends of color, they're like, dude, this, there's a lot of pressure on this. Like, I, I, I want to help move the conversation forward. Um, but how, how, how does that, how do you keep it focused on the excellence of and defining that that's true to you, but that's not internalized as pressure that doesn't lead towards that you know, like you were talking about the, the, the black preacher as being freedom and love that that rises, not pressure and anxiety. That's such a great question. Yeah. And, and I don't always do that. Well, I mm. think being a young pastor, there is pressure following my father at my church, there is pressure, but I think what rises to the surface is Black preaching and the way in which I'm attempting to deliver God's truth, it's gratitude. And there's a gratitude that overflows so much larger and greater if we're in our healthy emotional place, so much larger and greater than the underlying senses of, of trying. It's not human achievement. It, it's not human achievement. That's not why pressure. The pressure is, is I want to engage in a way with my community to where we come together and celebrate what God has done for us. And it is communal. And I think that's what people in Black preaching think Black preaching is performative. And there is a level of performance in it, but people don't understand what it feels like to become one with the people. And there's a communal sense. And even some of the Black people who were in the room who I know their reactions afterwards and what they were doing. And I was, I was preaching to them. I wasn't preaching to the white audience. We're entering into a communal testimony, a call and response, a symbiotic relationship of we celebrate what is done. And so people are, and that's the difference. In, in the Black church, we are, we are entering in as one with the experience of what Jesus has done and giving test, we are testifying to that power. But I wasn't there to, prove anything to other people. 
the difference is when I know that I desire to preach and and represent my community well, but my community will love me regardless. Right. <laughs> it's love. Yeah. I re- I give love and I receive love and I'm fully seen, I'm fully known and that they they are speaking and expecting me to be all that God has called me to be, not to be anything else. Yeah. And so when you know that you preach out of that gratitude and that an achievement for for connectivity with your community. That's that's so good. I mean, again, that's you know, it's like when I feel like people are testifying, it comes from something so far deeper within. You know, it's like the um, from like the bowels, you know, I mean, it's just, there's just something that it is just stirring and stirring. Um, and, and the way that you just named that, I, I, I didn't have the language for it. I couldn't, I couldn't see how you had framed in the cadence, but now hearing, I go, Oh, that totally makes sense. We're going to, we're going to have the link to that talk in the show notes. So if you didn't get the whole talk, I want you to hear the nine minutes of just sheer testifying glory. It was so so beautiful. But I want to talk, talk about the framing piece. Um, let's say like, I, you know, I ask you to come speak and I give you, you know, um, Matthew 5 and we're having you do the Beatitudes, you know, one of them. You say you start with the framing. Talk about that for a second. What that, what, what does that look like for you? Oh yeah. That's, that's where the, the, the money is. I love that. There's a guy named Frank Thomas. He's really one of the black preaching godfathers. And I'll probably name drop a ton of these people throughout his podcast. And because I learned so much from them, but Frank Thomas has this method. um, It's called situation, complication, resolution, celebration, which I use for the framing of the Q talk. I use the hybrid of that for the framing of the Q talk. And it's not the only framework I use. I think COVID especially has, has taught us we need to have different frameworks for different situations. But that is one of my favorites. And the reason is you must place yourself within the drama of the text. And you must also, you must also complicate and disturb the waters. Mm. And so that's what I did at Q. I started with a situation, which was a conversation with my aunt. And then I complicated it because I an answer. Now, this is another layer of framing is I could come in and I could tell the predominantly white audience at Q that they don't have an answer. Or I could, I don't have an answer to my auntie's questions. And then implicitly, they realize they don't have an answer. So that's the complication, right? And then you build the complication out from the layer of not just us, but our communities. And then you resolve the the complication, and then you celebrate. You have the feast after the prodigal son comes home. Yeah. You know, Frank Thomas often says, well, why did they have a feast? It could have ended with the embrace. But yes, there was some older brother, you know, extra stuff that had to have, you know, be dealt with in the text. But there's a celebration because the community now can enter in. And that's the moment of, that's what kind of makes people their eyes widen is because that's what we do naturally. Once we resolve that Jesus is the answer, we don't just say Jesus is the answer. We tell you how much of an answer he is. And so that would be typically, especially when I'm in new places, I think it's Eugene Lowry says that all preaching is narrative, but he doesn't mean narrative in the sense of telling the story, but he means in the sense of 
the way in which we manipulate words and time. Ooh. And so he says, musicians play notes, preachers play words, right? We, we play with words. And so I am trying to frame something that speaks to the moment. And so I'm going to say, with everything that is happening in the world, how do I not just tell people what Jesus says, but help them experience the transformation of Jesus? And you do that in that type of framework um, that Frank Thomas and some others give. So that's, that's kind of how I framed it. And then the cadence is something different, but we can get into that. What's amazing right now is people can just now stop listening to this podcast because they've just basically received enough. You know what I mean? Because what you just dropped in 16 minutes right now, I'm like, holy cow. I remember like some of this stuff, I don't think people have ever fully experienced, but you think like what Frank Thomas just, just dropped with those four words. That's, that's huge. So, so you, so you've get this, you know, the situational, um, I, what was the second one? Situation, complication, complication, resolution, celebration. That complication piece, I think, is you know so often missed with uh, with preaching um, because I think a lot of times, a lot of um, at least from my tribe, oftentimes we don't want to disrupt. And there's you know a great great rabbi who says you can never be somebody's rabbi until you have the courage to disrupt them. And I, I think I think that that complication only begs and longs for that resolution, you know, and that that Jesus is that full answer, you know. So so you 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 build that framework. Talk about how you the cadence plays in and flows out of. So it's interesting that you mentioned the disturbance because one of you know when I preach at my home church, I always say I like to do three things, which. I want to leave people disturbed, curious, and moved. Ooh. And disturbed, not in the sense of, not in the sense of the horror of of, but but disrupting what you expected to receive. Approaching this text, and that's key in the South. That's key in a place where people have been saved for their entire lives. It's key in a place where you know what the text is saying. And so it's interesting that you mentioned that. And from a cadence perspective. It's it's strange, but I have to say I learned so much from I learned so much from hip hop. It's just it's it's unreal. Uh, <laughs> I do, um, in particular, most deaf, and he uses this thing called block rhyming. Yeah, um, kind of a multisyllabic rhyme scheme. And when I listened to the the Black on Both Sides album years ago, it completely changed the way I communicated because, and you'll see this kind of at the end of the talk, is I manipulate cadence to where. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying not to, to let you expect where it's going to go every single part of the talk, right? So there's different ways. So at the beginning, he's a very traditional kind of cadence and then I start picking up. And at the end, what I do is I wrap around each sentence. This is kind of really technical, but I, I wrap around each sentence. So you, you expect it to end here and actually kind of fling you around the corner to the next thought. Um, and I just, I learned how to do that over the course of um, spoken word poetry and rap ciphers in my local community and freestyling. And you have to have a unique cadence to keep people's attention. It's not just about what you say, it's about how you say it. And so 
to try to spending years trying to communicate to students and teenagers and trying to get their attention, you learn that flow. And so I've tried to adapt it as best as possible. But from a cadence perspective, the talk moves in its four movements, but it also really has four cadences too. And so I'm always showing it. What I did was I, I constructed an either or, right? So I constructed two things. So I say at one point, you know, it's impossible to, or, or sometimes it's difficult to, to see Jesus as healer when you don't have healthcare. Yes. So right there, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm doing the either or, when I'm doing the, oh, it's this and it's that. It's this, but it could be this. So I'm laying the groundwork for the end, which is the whole thing is that. And so I'm laying the groundwork for the end so that when I say Black Christians can be prayerful and prophetic, we can be weeping and dancing, it speeds up. This, it's the same cadence, but I just sped it up. And so now it's the celebration, so it rises in movement. And that's all coming from Eugene Lowry's uh, idea of the homiletical beat, that every sermon naturally has cadence and time and all these things, just like musicians have notes, that you experience God in it and it swells in a, it's in my people, it's in our blood. And so, yeah, I think, I think it, it helps for us to think about not just what we're saying, but how we're saying it. And everyone's not going to be in a black context where that resonates, but for me, our people expect to feel rhythm and power and pace and call and response, which was, and it was, it was weird because at the end, I'm like, you know, at my church, if I was, if people would be call and response, it'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, it's cute. So people are like, I don't know if I can do that here, you know? (laughs) So, um, but you're trying to elicit that reaction so that you, you're giving people the permission to enter in with your cadence. Yeah. Enter into this. Feel this. Feel what feel what the text is saying. Feel what Jesus is doing in your body. Yeah. Um, which is something that we often don't do. We often just engage our minds in preaching. What about our bodies? What about the physicality? What about the embodiment of what Jesus has done for us? Um, you know, it's fire in our bones. Yeah. That's what we believe. Yeah, I mean, I love that. You know, you think about the the Jeremiah twenty thing that you just talked about. You know, and just the fire in our bones. It, it can't it can't stay within us. It, it, you can't say shut up. It's got to come out of you. Um, and I also love the fact that you you dropped the most deaf um, reference because I you know uh, that that whole Chappelle crew that you know to leave Quali like you know just like a beautiful struggle that album. But just you start to you start to see that these conscious rappers and what they were saying, I just, it, it was so much different, but the way at which they were approaching um, almost their own homiletical beat that they had these sounds that they were speaking in. Uh, I, I, I learned to see so much of the world differently because of those voices, you know, that Prez, like all of that whole stuff. This might be the first time I'm ever dropping some of these references on this podcast, but it's okay because I just think it's like it's it, it was such a um, it was so catalytic for me to see how words and phrases could be put together and you could actually say something in a short amount of phrases and bars that literally could like call something out or disrupt something. I mean, again, just I, I love that because I think for many people, they don't understand that pacing or energy management or cadence is a secret sauce when it comes to communication. So, so, so many, 
again, from my tribe, oftentimes are, are, are focusing on what I say, but the way that you just said it, not on how I said it. And, and that place of getting to that fire, that, that guttural, just like that testifying. Builds, let yes. it build. Yes. And, and, and that's how I, the reason I intentionally, at the beginning of the talk, I intentionally started with a pause. Yeah. So I intentionally started with the pause to slow my pace down because my heart was racing. And so I want to slow as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm preaching in a, in a space that doesn't know me. I want to pause to manage the pace. And I think sometimes we start off with a pace that we can't sustain or we start off with a pace that doesn't fit what we're talking about. And we don't know how much that changes the room. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, these guys, they, they preach and they shout and they do this. It's like, well, no, they just manage pace and they have a cadence and they have a rhythm and it doesn't have to be hip hop. It doesn't have to be urban. It can be whatever your rhythm is, but know what that is and master that. And that's actually a powerful tool to use in the communication of God's truth and in the communication of, of what Jesus has said to us. So, yeah, I, I think it is it is a paramount importance for us to manage our rhythm, our pace, our cadence, and to be in tune with what works for us, because that style may not work for everyone. And that's okay. That You don't have to preach like anybody else. You preach like, you know, God has crafted and created you too. So you, you mentioned names like Frank Thomas and Eugene Lowry. And I, I mean, some of these names for probably many of my listeners that they've unfortunately not ever heard of. I'm curious, are there one, two, three resources that you go, man, this book or kind of this, this article really shaped my understanding of that homiletical beat or preaching that like I have to go to Amazon and go buy right now. Like, are there, are there any, any of those preaching books that you'd recommend to us? Yes. I just want to say this. I do want to say this overall, overall, like I, so I gain all my understanding of preaching from my context, from my people. So there are dozens of books that I could mention and it's not like I don't, I don't read other books, but I kind of prioritize our own. So I would say definitely Frank Thomas has a book called they like to never quit praising God. It's a weird title, but it's from, you know, enslaved Africans and it's amazing. And it's, it's key for understanding that framework that I talked about earlier. Henry Mitchell has a book called The Recovery of Preaching that was written, I believe, in the 70s. And it's amazing. Eugene Lowry has a book called The Homiletical Beat. Kenyatta Gilbert, Martha Stewart, also Samuel DeWitt Proctor has a book called Certain Sound of the Trumpet that's key in Black preaching. I mean, there's just so many I could mention. Um, But those books, and then a a more modern, more recent one is Otis Moss's um, Blue Note Preaching. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I just... I want to, I want to mention that there's, once you find one, you kind of find them all, you know, if you keep digging, but those are books that have really shaped and developed and crafted who I am as a preacher. And then, um, yeah, I think, I think I'll stick with those. Those are, those are definitely some of those books for sure. No, thanks for, thanks for doing that. We'll put those in the show notes as well. But I, you know, one of the, the pieces that I've just come to, um, so, so respect about how you see 
not communication, um, but how you see incarnational preaching. I mean, you are, again, you are just someone who is, I mean, when I, when I, when I follow you on, on Instagram, um, when I hear people talk about you and, and I've heard you even talk about when I'm preaching, I'm like pleading with my congregation. Like you, you, you are someone who is so familiar with their ache and you are so present in the range of emotion, like of what they are walking through. Um, this is not someone who has just gone up the mountain and had some ideas and now is just dropping onto a stage and delivering it and then removing himself from the context and the heart of the people. Like you are in it. I'm curious, one, where you learned that? Was that something you just... Um, is saw like growing up. Like, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. But then two, how does being so present with your people actually shape your communication for the better? Wow. Yeah. I, I learned this from my father and my father founded a church that I, I'm currently pastoring in 1992. And, and I was there and I remember distinctly growing up and hearing I'd wake up every Saturday or Sunday morning, depending, and I'd hear my father in the living room because he used to write out his sermons by hand on a legal on a legal pad, and he would memorize them word for word. And so I woke up, and he was in our front room, and he was actually preaching in our front room. He would he would be practicing, and so I, you know, watching my father preach was kind of like my Saturday morning cartoons. Like I'd grab my I'd grab my cereal and I'd I'd go in there with my blanket and I'd just listen to him preach, you know. Um and he would he would it was it was weird because even on Sunday mornings, he preached so hard, like in our front room. It was like he was sweating and it was like he was getting a lather before. I'm like, what is this? And then I saw sometimes the tears and and the way he loved people. And I realized preaching wasn't about the performance, it's about the people. And it's about a life that is so connected to the aches and the pains and the hurts of people who may or may not receive your words. And what I've framed it as for me is my church, I have the unique experience of preaching and leading at a church that I grew up in that has seen me grow up and, and make mistakes and go back and forth and, and live and come into myself. And my community makes my preaching my preaching. I, I, my community is what synthesizes all of the things that I read. And the proximity to them is a proximity to pain. It is. It's also a proximity to a blessed hope and joy that comes from their testimony of, of pastor, I know what I'm going through right now. It's, it's devastating. It's discouraging. But I see that I believe that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I believe that all things will work out um, for the good, work together for the good. I, I believe that in my bones. And because I believe that in my bones, I want to let you know, even as you're trying to comfort me, that I have not given up hope. And when I see the profound level of synthesis that they have with their 
their pain and their unique cultural experience, our unique cultural experience, and also how they say Jesus speaks to that. Jesus is with me in that. They, they testify to me so I can testify to them. And so when you have that connection and when you have that space, I, I'm going to tell you, my people are better than any platform I could get. Any platform. I don't care about where I'm going to be. I don't care about how many people listen to a Q talk or talk about it. I, I really don't. That's not a front of mind. I appreciate it. Thank you. But if my people say, I love you. If my people say, thank you for serving us. You know, that's what I, I long for and desire to be in proximity for. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, the other stuff is the other stuff. But when you get down to where people are in deep pain and yet can testify to the power, it's truly the paradox in, in, in real life. Uh, it's it's been special, man, to boomers and builders and people who have gone through things I can never experience. And so the the thing I would say to pastors and to preachers is, we can never get to the place where we're so caught up in our in our preach and our talk that we miss the proximity of just sitting with people in difficult, painful situations. At a certain point. At a certain point, I don't know if you can staff some of that out. You have to, right? You have to staff out as you scale, but you can never get away from pain proximity. It makes you, it keeps your heart soft and it keeps your preaching relevant to what people are going through. I think of people when I preach. I write it in my margins of my notes. Think of this person right here. They come to their, let their, let their face come to your mind so that you know you're preaching to them uh, not just to a camera, not just to a crowd of people you don't know. Um, yeah, that, that's that's a big part of it is I know my people are going through painful situations, no matter how great their life may be. They're in pain. And how do, how do I, as a, as a preacher, say, I'll sit with you in that, but as I take the pulpit and the podium, I'll also craft a message that is tailored to that pain yeah. and, and, and give you some of the hope that you give me on a daily basis. That's so good. I mean, seriously, I, I think for, for many people, the, the bigger the stage makes them less accessible to the pain and proximate to the pain of their people. And that's the power that they want is to kind of remove themselves from that pain, remove themselves from their people and have the space to platform. And again, why I just am so that I just see the favor and anointing on you is just like how Jesus offered up an upside down kingdom and, and re reminded us this is the way of, of the cross and the way of the kingdom. Like you are, you are just modeling, Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't care about the platform. I care about my people and that, and, and being proximate to my people, there is a newfound kind of power 
that comes out of my mouth when it comes to preaching. It's, and, and nobody, nobody gets that if you've not actually done it because it sounds crazy. But when it, you, it you know what I mean? It, it, I tell people and they, and they look at me funny whenever they bring a difficult situation. Like, I'm sorry, pastor, this is rough. Yeah. It's hard. I'm like, no, this is my favorite part of pastoring. It's not the preaching. It's actually sitting with you in the difficult situation. And because that's where God is. Yes. And that God is in the dip. God is in the mess. You know, God, God is in the diff. Jesus encountered people in, in unimaginable pain and mess and struggle. And when you preach, you're not preaching just to, to present something that is, is good to the ears, but you want to make the soul shout. Yeah. And so when, 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 when the church mother who's, who's in her eighties stands up and shouts, even after she lost her husband three years ago and she's been alone, when I see her shout, when I see Mama Frances shout, I know what she's been through. I know what she's walking through. I know the loneliness and the pain that she feels. Mm. And when I see that woman shout, that shapes me. That, that's different, <laughs> right? It's different than just people applauding, saying, wow, so good. No, what's going to make the soul open itself up to the reality and the beauty of Jesus that's where the pain proximity helps you to craft something that's different. And it helps you, it helps you to ask questions too, that you maybe I learned from my father, just listen to people, man. Just don't always, don't have the, the words and the pithy phrases and the cliches. Listen to your people, just listen to them, ask them questions and sit with them. And then your power when you speak will come from a different place. And I think that's actually the place I want and if the trade-off is I have fewer opportunities and less followers and, you know, less opportunity to be on these big stages, that's okay. I actually just want to be with my people. <laughs> you know, I want that type of power. That's, uh, I, I'm curious for you because I, I, I think for many people, one of the, the, the reasons they, they struggle to do this and be proximate is in energy management, you know, is in like soul replenishment, you know, is, um, when you, when you, you have to have the capacity and bandwidth to be able to sit and listen and grieve and enter into a full range of emotions as a pastor, um, recognizing, Hey, this is, this is something I can, I can, you know, in the Jewish Hebrew like um, mindset to to sit Shiva just to be silent in someone with their ache and not try to fill it with words or answers or cliches like your father would say, but just to listen. Um, how, how do you tend to your own heart when you are so proximate, so you have enough in the tank um, to do it again and again? or to have enough in a tank to be a great father like you are or, or a great husband like you are or enough in the tank to uh, preach with that kind of testifying spirit that you so do um, week in and week out. I, I, can, you, can you help us with that? Because I, I think, I think if, I, if I imagine for many people listening 
and no, no one's really probably going to say this, but sometimes I think people go, my, people drain me. And like, I'm actually, I'm someone who loves to sit with people. I, I, I love the pastoral side. I just think that I've heard this from different preachers from time. People drain me. I'm always, how, how, how do you, how do you do this and do it for the long haul? Oh, uh, well, I, I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm new to the game. So I'm, I'm workshopping all of this as I, you know, I've been a lead pastor for a little over a year. And so I'm, I'm trying to intentionally construct my, my life so that I have that Luke five withdrawing away to pray that Jesus often does that Matthew four wilderness. I have to go to that place. Kirk Byron Jones says that stillness of mind is the secret to preaching that matters most. And one of the things that manages my energy because I'm an introvert and yes, people do, (laughs) you know, it's a lot to talk to people, but one of the things that I want to prioritize is, is silence. I have to befriend silence every morning. And that has become a transformative gift that has actually built up the reserves that are necessary to get through every day. But I've also had to make strategic, especially in this, you know, in COVID and all these things, I've also had to make strategic decisions not to let the church go to a place that would make it harder for me to, as Eugene Peterson says, work the angles, right? Make it harder for me to work the angles of of prayer, of spiritual direction, of time with the Lord, of silence. And so I've had to say, you, there, there is a level, and this is where I think the Black preaching tradition is so powerful. There's a level of resistance in your ministry. You have to resist. And if you don't resist, if you give in, you become something else. You must resist the temptation to be in places that will expand and fill the the broken pieces and parts of your heart that make it so tempting for you to receive the applause and receive the admiration. And you must intentionally resist and say, this hour that I could spend here, I want to strategically spend it with some people in a core circle and an inner circle that I'm living with, that I'm, I'm serving with. And I've had to do that. I've had to intentionally say, I will not accept this freelance job because I'm bivocational. Um, I'm not swimming in dough. <laughs> you know, I will not accept this freelance job because it will take too much of my time away from my people. I will not accept this because I cannot meet on Thursday nights with this couple that I'm walking with. So I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I just, I won't do that because on this morning I have to have this meal. I won't do this because my kids need me at home for this night because I'm, I'm gone a lot. You know, it's these little choices that come, I think in the silence and stillness of withdrawing and asking the question, spirit of God, will you lead me to set up a life that is proximate enough to the people to where I don't get seduced by any platform. I don't get seduced by any opportunity. I don't have a price where you can buy me. Will you help me to cultivate that softness of heart that can be pricked, that can be 
shattered with the people that can be broken, that can enter into the tears and the pain. And, and, and even just the offer of that sometimes is, is hard because it will require so much of us, but stillness of mind and what fills my soul is long walks in nature and long drives. Like those things fill my soul. You have to know what fills your soul in order to have the emotional reserves to be able to do that on a regular basis. Um, and then there's this whole question of discipline and, and, you know, how do you use your day? How do you use your time? How do you do all this stuff? But I think that when we look at the example of Jesus, we see a very strategic life and a very strategic ministry. And your, our ministry has to be strategic enough to prioritize what God has called us to. And for others, you know, they, they're at mega churches. And so this is, this is completely impossible for them to just sit with people all day. Like it's just impossible. And I understand that. But I, I think for, for most of us who are listening, we're not too busy to sit with our people. We're, we're not, we just have to construct our lives a little bit differently. And I, I can't tell you how much the high of preaching at Q or speaking at Q's is, it was nice. But on Wednesday nights, when I'm with the, Oh, my soul is filled, even when it's difficult, even when it's conflict oriented, even when it's so I'm like, you know, this is what God has called me to do. And man, I'll accept the opportunities as I have margin. But, bro, I love being with my people and I love serving them and I love just sitting with them and hearing and learning. And and when you think of it in that way, if that's your call, you'll start to construct life differently. Uh Man, there's so much here. There's so much here, what you just said. I, I'm curious, do you think do you think the resisting is something that can be trained? And and, and what I mean by that is loving your people on a Wednesday night when there's conflict or there is you know, a prayer meeting or there is grief or there is just absolute joy. Can that be trained to love more a Wednesday night than the opportunity of being on a bigger stage or platform? Like, because I think we're missing training that in my tribe in the white church. I like, I, I think that I, I think that the achievement and the validation that often comes from being on a bigger stage, um, not the training to take care of what has been entrusted in your yard. Um, so I think comparison, I think uh, envy, I think uh, opportunity or even, you know, exaggeration or fabrication. Like we just, we can fabricate our credentials or just so that we can keep building. But man, the weeping um, for the people, the sitting with the people, the the loving that and believing that there's a power that will come in our preaching because we've done that so well, can that be trained? Or is that something you just 
built with? That's a great question. I, I think number one, I think there is an experience that I had growing up that our church for years, when my father was leading it, it was a mega church. And so I had, I got the, you know, privilege and, and in many cases, honor of being behind the scenes with some of the top, you know, preachers in the non-denominational, like charismatic world. And so I was behind the scenes when we would have revivals and I, you know, it's not what you think. And so I, I, have a, I have a connection that understands that there's an immense cost to the platform that you must know you've been called to. And you, you want, you know, Bishop Jakes often says that the spotlight, it brings light, but it also brings heat. And is that really what you want? You know, is that what God has really called you to? And here's, I think the temptation is if I've had that experience, then I know it personally. Yes, that's true. But then secondly, how much time, how much mental energy is spent trying to prove and trying to confound expectations and how much mental energy is spent choosing what we're going to say on social, how we're going to craft this, how we're going to expand and let people know that we're doing well. Who really matters in our ministry? And I think at, a, at, at a, in an early stage of my life, I had to come to grips with, hey, who really matters? Is it, is it your people or is it the platform that you've built on your podcast? Because that's significant. But who really, who's first? And if you if if your people are first, you have to budget and strategize your energy to where yes, you have to pay the bills, but you have to budget and strategize your energy to where you say no to some things, and you just have to look and say, I will not. And and I think every single morning, it's gratitude. It's counting my blessings. I write them down. I, I have gratitude and I count my blessings, and then I say what I'm not. And this is a more recent thing. I am, I am, I am not a <laughs> household name. I am, <laughs> I am not, you know, the, the, the model preacher. I am not this. I'm not that. I'm not this. I'm not. And I, I say this based upon the hard work that I've done in the stillness of the morning with God. And as I bring that to God, I can also, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And I have to tell myself this, read it. And then say, now go and live so that you do not cut a meeting with someone short so that you can go and do something else. Now that you, and I recently, yeah, I just recently had to do this. I had to move a vacation um, back a couple of days. um, And it was a certain opportunity. I had to move it around because one of our members died. So I need to be at the funeral. So my question and my conversation that I had with my wife, it actually came into practice that, I need to be present in this moment because I sense deeply they are in pain and in a pain that I actually need to be present for. And so let me sit with them and let me make sure that I'm getting my rest. Yes. But let me push that a few days if I can. Can I do this? You know, we're having this conversation. Can I do this? Okay, good. So I can do this. So let me choose this because I know where my my strategy is. I know where I need to strategize that time and I know who I've been called to. And then I think also 
if you watch the people on who have been in the news and the headlines and you know you know this better than anyone pastor but man platform and fame is poison man it's just it it can be poison for a heart that is not submitted and healthy and healed and i've got so much trauma i'm working on therapy and i've got so much i'm like listen (laughs) like my wife is like look I love these opportunities but I need you here yeah and I need you to be present and I need you to be healthy and so don't let these things seduce you into the momentary satiation of a soul that really needs a grounding in a well not a sprinkler you need to sit in the well of of deep fulfillment in in community and that will shape all your preaching. It'll shape all your communication. It'll do that. But you have to choose. And at a certain point, I think we don't choose. And then we get in scenarios. And this is another thing for preachers in the South, pastors in the South especially. We just choose the lowest common denominator. We just do because that's how it's been set up. The lowest common denominator is we do church like this. And your pastor says this and your pastor does this. What if we don't do that? What if we say, hey, this might drastically change my future, but if if you have the grace and the freedom and you've been called to it, what if you say no? What if you say, I don't have to do this right now? And that's okay. You know, and I don't think people hear the freedom of, I think we just assume and we just keep going and going and going. And then there's a crash because we never had that moment of, "I, I resist this. I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And there's such freedom and fulfillment there. Man, that 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 speaks um, on so many levels to me. Um, you know, I uh, was thinking that exercise of gratitude, but that exercise of I am not and writing that out and speaking that out um, as a declaration of, um, for my soul and body and mind and heart to remember, like this is this is who I am not. This is what I will choose to resist. It's so good because, you know, I think I think for many of us, when you ask that question, like what motivates us or what what drives us, you know, I I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, it's, it's such a powerful, greatest sermon ever. And I, I I've come across recently just in reading it is the word reward in the way that it's used. <clears throat> and if you think in like chapter six, when he's talking about, you know, um, prayer or fasting or, or giving to the needy, um, he, he's, he's going after the question that you're talking about, the motivation. He's going after what drives you. And, he, and again, it's, it's all to be seen by other people for these, these leaders. Um, and he goes, and you will have received your reward in full. And I, I re- and I'm just thinking about that, you know, when we go on Instagram and, you know, we, what motivates us and we get 77 likes and I feel as if Jesus would be saying like, oh, you got your reward in full. That's what you wanted. You got that. And it came at, it's, it's not bringing honor and glory to me. It's not bringing honor and glory to your people. You got what you wanted, which was to be seen and receive the applause of man or 77 likes. And then he talks about reward like when you 
are experience rejection or you experience persecution or you re- experience insults because of Christ, not because you um, said something dumb or you chose your agenda, but because of actually the embodiment of Christ. Um, he goes, great is your reward in heaven. And again, I'm just sitting here listening to you um, speak and I'm just, you have a perspective of resisting um, the receiving of your reward right now for a greater reward in heaven. And I, th- I think that's the, the, the piece that um, is that character formation, is that development, because if not all of the movement to the lowest common denominator, all of the gravitational pull will be towards just receive your reward now. Just receive it now. Receive the perks now. Receive this kind of earthly power now. Receive all of this now and all of that. Um, but man, you what you have just dropped, I mean, this is this this might go down as my favorite interview I have ever done because I just I I think um I think what you are speaking at are clicks ahead of me. And I'm like, I I can see it through the fog. And I'm like, oh, I, I, that's, that's, I know that's right. That's, that's what I, I want. And in some of it, I've seen the, the effects um, around me, but like that, that is, that's what I think Christ wants um, for the local shepherd and the local pastor. I think I, I think I grew up in a world where um, we needed better preachers. And I think, I think that there's a part of it that was totally true but it came at the expense of better shepherds and pastors. And I, I think right now with everything that our world is circling and what is being revealed and the holy shaking that, um, is, that, our, that our church and our world is enduring, I think we need those prophetic shepherds that are guiding people. And um, you are one of those. Um, you are... You are one of those voices, and um, yeah, I, I just this is now moved from a podcast. I know we're still recording, but I, it's it's like it's um, for me personally. Like it's just um, it just it, it's uh, I just feel really tender because I feel like what you are trying to do is very very different than um, what is often done and there are there are there are a handful and hundreds I know of 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 people who are doing very very good work that nobody will ever know um but again you know it's it's that are embodying this this same kind of ethos uh, but I just I just from the bottom of my heart thank you and um just for just the just again just just who you are and, and what you are wanting to do um pastor Tyler if, if people were to try and um learn more um, about you, where can they find you, which sounds so funny after everything we just talked about, but like, but, but even just the, the church, I, I just realized I didn't, I didn't, what the, one of the other pieces I love about you is that you're bivocational. There's, there's, there's stuff that you are actually doing and we, we didn't, you know, but like the, what you're doing uh, in the local church, but also in kind of your your context uh can you just spend a few moments talking about that and where people can find you 
Wow. Well, I, Pastor, thank you so much um, for those words. It's just extremely encouraging. I, you know, am still learning. So, you know, yes, I'm, I'm learning. I'm young. I'm, I'm processing. I'm, um, I'm trying to be present and I'm, I'm failing and I have a gracious wife and <laughs> a loving and kind and caring church and kids who keep me very, very humble uh, when I come home. Uh, but I am obviously on all the socials, um, Burns Clan on Twitter and Instagram, Tyler Burns on Facebook. That's just, I sometimes post regularly, sometimes not. It just kind of depends on what's happening in my life. Um, some people would know me from being president of The Witness, um, the black, a black Christian collective. Um, it's an organization that my colleague Jamar Tisby founded um, in, in 2011. And so I've, I've taken over that. And we host a podcast together called Pass the Mic, which is on all the podcast platforms. And um, most importantly, though, I lead uh, New Dimensions in Pensacola, NDCC Pensacola on IG and some on Facebook. And, you know, we don't post a ton, but yeah, we're, we're there. And, you know, we have sermons every, every week and, and services every week. And um, yeah, it's the great joy of my life. And I'm learning and I'm learning from people like you, Pastor, and uh, Pastor Rich and so many others um, who have helped me to see that uh, the reward will come and, you know, the people are more important than the platform. So I, I thank you for the opportunity to come and talk about that and uh, love on my people from afar, even through this. Well, hey, thanks so much, man. And uh, hey, real quick, before we, we jump, um, you're, you're in Pensacola, Florida. Like, who do, who do you root for for college football? I mean, I feel like for the state of Florida, it's very, very, it's very contentious right now. Go Gators. It's Go Gators. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. Let's go Gators. Go so, Gators. and the reason is they, they are, they were the first team that I saw play college football and I liked their jerseys when I was okay. a kid. And then, um, I, one of the great regrets is that I didn't accept, a, an offer to go there. Um, I didn't when I came out of, of high school, but I thought it was too big and I thought I was gonna, you know, uh, lose myself there in that environment, which is probably right, you know, which is probably right. It was a good call for 18 year old me, I think, but it was one of those things where, oh no, I could have gone to the school I love rooting for in college football, but yeah, it's, it's go Gators. Typically they're, they're, they're no fans or Bama fans. That's typically how it is. Seminoles are, are roll tide. That's okay. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for, for, for joining us on the crafting character podcast. And Hey, for everyone listening, I uh, hope that you will give Tyler uh, a follow, but just, um, or maybe even just pick up one of those books. Again, they'll, I'll have them in the show notes. Would love for us just to continue to be stretching our learning, um, if, if even the homiletical beat or, or from Pastor Otis Moss or even just uh, Frank Thomas. I mean, let's pick up one of those books. I think it will be a great gift to helping our sound and helping us find our sound. Um, hey, also just to let you know, we have an amazing cohort that's going um, with Nancy Beach. Uh, it's going to be both women and men. Um, we believe that we can be better together as communicators and uh, we have an amazing lineup of faculty. We want to help you grow in your craft of communication, but helping you have your character lead your, lead the way. It's a year-long cohort, amazing opportunity. You can learn more at craftingcharacter.org. But with that, friends, I there are so many moments in this podcast that I can that I'm just replaying in my mind right now. But um, I don't know what your takeaway is, but I'm hoping that each of us can find that one area that we have to go, I'm not this. I'm not this. 
I'm not this, I'm not this, so that we can resist the temptation to be something other than God created us to be. Let's be the kind of people that actually pastor our people and truly receive a power uh, from above because we've been able to sit well like Pastor Tyler taught us. Much love, everyone. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Grace and peace. Peace.